Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is Kyle Covey. I'm one of the planners here. I'll be helping facilitate the video portion of the meeting. I'm going to work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. A few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. Uh, the meeting is being recorded and broadcast. Well, it's a delay. Apologies for that, everybody. <laughs> the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this meeting, public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can set a, send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Thank you. Okay. Um, welcome, everybody, to the latest. We got the agenda out. We're going to double the code assessment. I'm sure everyone has read it and what, digested it. You've read it, at least. That's good. Um, and it's going to be the, the next... Uh, phase of our process. There is a public meeting after this. Um, so again, you know, sometimes we've let the public probably more participate in this meeting, but since we have one afterwards, we'll limit this to us unless we run out of time and then let the public participate in, in that meeting afterwards. Um, and so I was, though, I was, I was going to read something real quick. I found these very old documents in, in the files at the law firm including the 1966 original interim zoning ordinance. But I thought, thinking of Panasonic, I thought this was interesting. This was the summary of why they were creating a zoning ordinance for the first time in Lawrence. And it says, there's indications that the county is on the threshold of greatness and the greatest period of growth it's ever seen. Counties and cities along the Kansas Turnpike have experienced far greater rates of expansion than the remainder of the state. The construction of the Clinton Dam and the reservoir will attract many people from the greater Kansas City metropolitan area, as well as the capital city, Topeka. That was the basis for starting the whole thing, which I thought was fun. And then the original 1981 subdivision regulations had all these purposes to them, but like many of them are exactly what we're talking about in the context, including these should ensure shall conform, subst conform substantially with the comprehensive plan and the zoning ordinances. We should provide the conservation of existing, the conservation of existing neighborhoods and encourage the concept of neighborhood planning and new development. And we should coordinate development of each parcel of land within the existing community to conform with the comprehensive plan. And my favorite one, encourage the best possible use of each parcel of land through the application of urban design principles. So from 1981 on, we've been working on these same ideas. Same, some of the same themes are in, in the, the current plan, and I'm sure we'll carry some in, over in the development code, but anyway, I thought that was kind of fun. So I'll turn it over to Elizabeth to kick us off. Thank you, that was, that was fun. I'm wondering why you were looking around for old planning and zoning documents. Uh, lawyers always like to look around. Uh, who was mayor that year? I don't know. Marcy Francis. Marcy Francis. Jack 
Friends, Harder than the current land development code would be interesting. We could do a comparison. Um, but 
to make a form-based code like the SMART code, a lot of on-the-ground work has to take place, and we can take advantage of the information that the city has saved about um, what was on the ground when that was done. There have been some changes since then, but many of the neighborhoods remain essentially the same. So we'll take a look at that and see what we can mix in. Let's go to the next slide. Does everyone understand the difference between the code we're doing, which is kind of hybrid, and a form-based code? Do we need to talk about that at all? Please Pretty do. Good. Please do. Please do? Okay. Okay. So the, the land development code is, it came out of um, a code platform um, called Euclidean. And that was that we would um, make base zone districts and we would separate things that don't belong together, particularly uses. Um, Euclidean zoning was um, formally recognized by the United States Supreme Court in 1926 in the case of Euclid versus Ambler Realty. So if you were in ancient Greece or Rome thinking about Euclid, it's not quite that fancy. It's just the Euclid family brought this lawsuit. And um, so the purpose of zoning at that point in time was to separate uses that didn't belong together. That point in 1926 started us down this path of kind of siloing everything and saying residential, you go over there, and commercial, you go over there. That's not actually how we were building communities at that point in time. And we have some older communities that have a lot of mixes in the uses and structures, and they perform quite well. So, but Euclid took zoning down this path of separating everything, um, and we have kind of followed that train maybe to the end of the tracks at this point. But um, around the mid-1990s, early 2000s, form-based regulations came out of a more architectural approach to land development regulations. And one of the key concepts of form-based code is that we have communities that are built on structures and um, architectural form and design form. So our communities are more often oriented around structures than uses. Uses come and go. You can change uses in a building. The building is yours for a long time, even if it's an abandoned Walmart or Kmart. And so um, what form-based code does is they, they kind of switch priorities. So a Euclidean code, the most important thing you're doing is the use. A form-based code, the most important thing you're doing is a structure. And so we want to come up with more hybrid set of regulations. We care about uses and structures, so we're going to even that out a little bit. We'll bring uses down. There are use regulations in the current code that are not helpful at all, and we'll elevate structures um, so that we know that what's being built in the community that's going to be here for 50 or 100 years is something that works within the community. So those are our, our key differences. There are other permutations within there, but those are the two big basics. We okay with that? Okay, all right, let's move on to the next slide. Thank you. Okay, so what we do to figure out if zone districts are working, first of all, is we take a look within the community of how much property within the overall structure is, uh, within the overall boundaries of the community is zoned in, a, in an existing district. Um, so we look at like RS7 on the very top 21%. So that's um, one of our highest residential districts. IG at 9.25. We use planned unit development for about 8.7%. So these districts across the top um, have enough use across the district across the city that we, we think that they're functioning. They're, they're functioning well enough um, that they're being used, being chosen um, for rezoning or being continued in what they were. 
So then we go down to the, the bottom of the list. You can see we've got mixed use at 0.03%, RS3 at 0.01%. There's something going on in some of these districts um, that tells us that they're not as functional. If a district is functional, people choose to use it. It's, it's pretty Darwinian. Um, and so we don't know exactly what's going on, but we go in and we look at the district. So like we could see the H district is only 11%, but that's the hospital, the one, one hospital. So there's a reason for that. Why isn't the mixed use district being used though? Because that's something um, in, in current zoning that we tend to see a lot of. So we look at it, is it, is it too challenging? Because within mixed use, you have to do sub districts of mixed uses and it's really hard to get to, probably. Um, so then we, we amuse ourselves, if you go to the next slide, by looking at it visually. Um, so here's where you can see the dark blue square is OS, um, the orange square RS7. So we kind of see a lot of districts that are getting some pretty significant use. And then we get down to those tiny slivers on the right-hand side, and we have districts that are really barely being used. So we think there's something functional on the left side, something not as functional on the right side. Um, but there are good concepts in some of the districts on the right side. So we want to back up and figure out why those concepts aren't being more widely accepted in the community. Let's go to the next slide. One of the things that um, we heard coming into this project was that the community may feel like there are too many residential districts. So too, too many is a pretty relative thing. Um, when, when uh, my colleague and I were working on the Philadelphia code a few years ago, they had 56 zone districts um, and they weren't sure that was too many. So it varies community by community. What we look at with the too many, too few conversation is, are, they, are there meaningful distinctions between the districts um, or did we at some point in time just come in and create categories because there were lot size breaks in there? And so the, just because of the lot size breaks in there, that tends to be more of that old school um, separating uses. So for some reason, people with very large lots cannot live next to people with much smaller lots. So that might have been taken to the extreme. So we're, we're coming back and we're saying we can combine a few districts. So you can see that in the table in the code assessment. Um, we're saying that we will carry forward some districts and um, sometimes we're saying that maybe we need to take a district and not combine it, but change it. So like we're looking at the RM32 uh, multi-dwelling residential at 32 DU per acre, comparing that with um, the plan 2040, comparing that with the types of um, density that you might see in a city the size of Lawrence with the um, uses and population demands you have here. And we're thinking, you know, maybe the difference between 24 and 32 is not as significant. Maybe around or in downtown, we want to look at something else. And so that's a conversation we'll have. How do we have that conversation? We go in and we redraft the districts and we bring the draft and we say, here's what it is. Here's what it looks like, because we're going to add graphics to the code. Um, and here's where we think it'll get used going forward. When you, if I can, when you make a recommendation on combining, um, yeah. those, is that based on the numbers that you showed before, just in terms of frequency of use and frequency of our use, community? You guys communicating with us like these distinctions aren't super meaningful. Us looking around and saying, you know, 
First off, well, with residential districts in particular, these are minimum lot sizes, and we know there are going to be people out there with larger lot sizes. So we will probably have a conversation with you. Like, do we want to go in and set a maximum lot size? If not, we probably don't need all of these because if you have 7,000, you can have 10, 20, and 40 within that. Um, so the, the question is, if Lawrence wants to get to additional density, where do we want to make it easier to do? And where do we want to say, hey, this is really where we want to see the density. So instead of having a maximum density, you're going to have a minimum density. Or instead of having a minimum lot size, you're going to have a maximum so lot size. So it's not size. really a reflection of where we are in, in efficiencies. It's about setting direction. It's about setting direction. Gotcha. One of the things in residential, though, that we don't want to do is go through and change this and create a whole set of nonconformities that don't exist. So a nonconformity is something that was legal under the old code that is no longer legal or permitted under the new code. And um, we tend to try to not do that because then we just freeze that development in place. A nonconformity is usually allowed to stay and not allowed to change a whole lot. So we will also look at the zoning map and we will look at the Google Earth to figure out what's out there and talk to communities. So um, the goal is to leave what's legal in place, but look about how we can get more redevelopment and infill in places where it's appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that, that's kind of what we got going on with residential. Um, some of our conversation about residential will also be um, what sort of zoning do we need um, for in-town districts and what sort of zoning do we need for more suburban or even more rural um, residential development. So that'll be part of this conversation going forward. Any other questions on this slide? I just, yeah. when you talk about replace, um, then what happens to the current properties that are worth? So if you're going to replace RM32 yeah. with RM54, yes. um, then... So RM32 still stays legal within RM34. It doesn't... But it means that anybody could take their property within RM32? and develop it yeah, to, RM to RM54. And that's part of our discussion as we look okay. at the district, right? And that's we're going to have a conversation about that. Yeah, we are definitely <laughs> going to have a conversation. We hope so. Okay. You shouldn't let us come in and say 54 and go home. So we hope to do that. But, but the question mark is good because our drafting policy is to be more additive. So we, we don't want to go in and say we replaced your zone district and we took away everything that you thought you had. Um, so when we combine districts, so um, looking at combining like RS7 and RS5, in same story, in that case, the RS7 folks would be able to develop at RS5 because that's more permissive. Um, so our goal is to head in the more permissive direction, not to say, oh, you were 40 and now you need an acre and you can't do anything. So we'll make sure that we circle back around and point that out because it's not, it's not an intuitive conversation if you're not doing zoning every day. So just the history is yeah. the RM32, I think, came out of um, what was the highest use before the residential RD, residential dormitory. Yeah. And that was um, put in place when they thought the dormitories were going to be built between the university and downtown. Um, they did platting before zoning, so um, they couldn't amass 
enough lots to build the dormitories there, and they never did, but they left us with the R32, RM32 zoning. Mm -hmm. So um, it didn't work at RM32. Nobody could build to that density in much of that. And so just to add to that um, is going to create a little confusion. Well, so I think that that's a really, it's a really good point. One of the things that we're trying to balance in these changes is the current um, affordable housing situation and the current affordable and available housing situation. Um, it could be that we end up staying at 32 and not going to 54, but we want to explore what that would look like in terms of an apartment complex or multifamily development. And, and I'm not saying you um, you don't need RM54 yeah. somewhere, but I'm just saying to say that everything that's RM32 was intended to be high density um, is um, probably not the case. Okay, so part of this discussion will also be looking at the map. Okay. And it could be that we decide that there was stuff in there that you know, leaving it RM32 is the great choice or talking to those property owners about rezoning to something else is an even better choice. You can build at 32 density in RM54. Yes, you can. Yeah. 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 But, but if you can't build to RM32 today, in RM32. Zone it to RM54, you can't build RM54 either. Right. So, right. So part of the problem is both. figuring out if cuts both ways. Yeah. Right. The path forward to RM32 or 54 is if it needs to be allowed, and then thinking about the right place for it. Yeah, yeah. and and I understand that you couldn't build RM54, but we have people who then think that that's what they should do. Um, try to either combine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's history to it. There's uh -huh. expectation to it. There's location to it. Everything that you're saying is absolutely correct and part of this discussion. And let me ask a similar question on the other side. I mean, there's certain um, folks who want to do away with all the residential zones and just have a residential zone where you can do whatever you want based upon the form. Uh, you know, a true form-based code would say we have no limits on some of these. It's just more limit on form, not on any of these. Why are you recommending we keep some of these zoning districts at all? I guess it's kind of the other end of that question. Yeah, so our our reality with particularly residential is it's not going away. So whatever is there on the ground usually your residential stays for a long time. You get periodic scrape-offs. Um, with the market where it is, you might see more scrape-offs. But one of the other pieces that we want to get to is character and the character of the different neighborhoods because that's so super important here. So we would keep the zoning in place for the most part because it reflects a piece of character. But part of our discussion is going to be, um, you know, what is what is the important thing that we're doing here in the zone districts? Is it lot sizes? Is it uniformity across the street frontage? Is it where the street trees go? That's part of what we want to dig them into as we go further into this process to be able to come back to these districts and say, well, you know, we could roll three of them together because the same things are important. And then that would mean, you know, less um, fighting over rezoning. So we want to gather up a little more information about how much distinction is actually out there in the way the community sees itself 
and then come back to this discussion. Yeah. Uh, you said something that was interesting, and I don't know how interesting it is because I don't know how it's defined, and that kind of depends. So you said residential is not going away. Do you mean in the utmost sense of people living in houses in a city is not going away, or exclusive single-family home residential zoning is not going away? No. So what I mean is the single-family houses right. are likely not going okay. away. So the houses right? themselves, the not houses necessarily themselves, right? Not necessarily the exclusivity, right? right. That may be on the table, right? But, well, lots of things could be on the table. Okay. We, we will. Um, I imagine that we're going to have a bigger discussion um, with this group and in the community about how much truly single-family detached zoning remains in place. Um, there's, you know, there's discussion um, in communities, particularly those facing um, issues about um, housing affordability, about, you know, making a two-family or a three-family structure the baseline that you start with. Um, so that's, you know, something we want to talk about. Where would that go? How would that work? Um, and we, you know, we know from plan 2040 that the city wants to see more infill. Does infill mean that we set this up so some of these larger lots can be subdivided later into smaller lots with more development? So we have, we have a lot of permutations to get into. And I appreciate that everyone wants to get there, which is why exactly when we get to this point of this being done, everyone's like, great, that's done now. Go get us some draft zone districts that we can look at. So, um, so, so we're, we're just highlighting for you when we come back with the draft, this will be sort of more um, drafted out. And these are the conversations that we can dive into. And then you'll have numbers and information in front of you to talk about it. So I appreciate these are all really good questions. Okay. All right. Let's go on to the next one. Oh, I just yeah. one more thing. Yeah. When on the third one, the yeah. or the last one, when you talk about Greek housing, um, you we might want to also consider co-op housing. Okay. Yeah, I think what you're what you've pointed out, um, RC, is one of the great eternal questions in a college community that we're gonna go over again and again is. Are the students going to live here? Who's going to live here? And how is this going to work? And so and we do have co-op housing. Yeah. So yeah. that needs to go someplace. And yes. Yeah. Well, and what we didn't flag on here is we probably will have uh, conversations about tiny homes. We'll probably have conversations about um, RV parks as affordable housing. We we There's like a whole rest of this list that we're going to dive into. And we thought we'd wait until we had more detail in front of you so you didn't have to um, guess with us where we were going. Okay, next slide. Maybe we might come back to it. Okay, so we did, we were reading through the code um, and there are um, a number of current commercial districts and the MU mixed districts. So for everyone's... Um, Kind of to keep us on track with the conversation here, old school commercial, typical commercial is is usually just commercial. It doesn't have residential mixed into it. When we say mixed use, that is residential plus something. Could be residential plus commercial, could be residential plus institutional, could be residential office. In um, some communities, um, we've seen residential and industrial that can get a little more challenging because we have some safety problems with that, but we see it. So um, what we're recommending is to be more clear um, and to say in most places where you could do commercial, you can do mixed use because um, the residential built in with the commercial 
usually lives pretty well together and gives us opportunities to add residential and to add density in places where people expect there to be density and cars and um, people moving around. So it doesn't create some of the pushback as redeveloping residential neighborhoods does. So we have listed um, five mixed use districts and they vary in scale. And you can kind of see that by the name. So there's small neighborhood mixed use. Um, I think of that, you could have like, uh, in my mind, it's like Brookside in Kansas City. And I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of an equivalent um, Lawrence, but I will come up with one later. But, you know, small shops and ice cream and little restaurant and residential could be second story, could be behind. Um, larger neighborhood mixed use. Um, so we might get into um, some two or three story, but still fairly low um, office or commercial. And then you would mix in some residential with that. Um, you can have corridor mixed use that might be along some of the more intense corridors, collectors or arterial streets, community center mixed use. We tend to see more of that sort of mixed use with new development. So where they want to put in um, their own shopping area with the other um, hotels and residential uses that they want to do, preferably um, supporting pedestrian or transit oriented uses and then downtown. So that's where we're going with that, the goal being to, um, to add the residential at a scale that works with where the commercial is located or could be located. So we got questions about this stuff. Any reason why you picked five? Is that just typical? <laughs> That's typical um, of the scale. We have one or two more that we might do, um, but we might also decide that um, corridor and community center are pretty similar and go together. So we start with five to hit the scale and then we can back up and talk about it. Have you seen um, examples of communities that have changed their code in this manner, how that affected affordability? I have seen changes in this manner affecting um, more so the commercial development. Um, and so um, we did um, similar work up in um, Cedar Rapids and um, they saw a fairly substantial change downtown, including the addition of a lot of residential millions and millions of dollars worth of um, change and improvement. Now, I can't um, claim all of that was because of the code. Um, it was probably coming anyhow, but the code staff said the code made it easier to get that into the areas where they wanted to see it. So um, that's one sort of um, similar example. Cedar Rapids is about the same size as Lawrence's roughly. Um, so I have, um, I have also seen similar work in Billings, uh, Montana, about the same size as Lawrence and went with more of this mixed use um, kind of hybrid form based code. And um, when I talked to their staff last year, um, they had also uh, processed similarly millions of dollars worth of improvement and they were seeing more residential downtown. I can check back with both of them and see what those numbers look like. Um, and we can, you know, we can look around. This is a fairly common change that we're seeing in zoning codes these days. I know this is an unfair question, but uh, Good. Uh, <laughs> um, what's an example of an existing commercial district in Lawrence right now that would get an MU1 or an MU, M2, MU2 designation? So I think some of that um, is going to depend on how we're looking at redevelopment in some cases, because I know that there's the um, 
So when, when you look at the, the current districts and how they're going to get um, rolled in, so let's take a look at CN2 Neighborhood Shopping Center, which is proposed to go into MU2 Large Neighborhood. The, the MU2 might be drawn out a little bit from the current districts of the CN2. So where do we have um, something that is a neighborhood shopping center? Can someone name one? Oh, Chris. First of Louisiana. Okay. Or, no, I mean, uh, 23rd Louisiana. 23rd Louisiana. So. I mean, that would be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what we, so what we would want to do um, is, you know, first off, take a look at what's on the ground to see if, you know, we think what's there would stay or if there is, you know, room to go up or room to go out. Um, and. What, what we're hoping for is that because the residential market is where it is, making that change pushes some um, redevelopment either to parking or to structure height or um, if whatever we're looking at is, is old enough and the um, income stream is insufficient at this point in time, just redevelopment altogether. So the, the goal is um, to make it easier to do the thing that could go there because we know that banks are financing for this now and it's it's easier to get in place than it was. Um, we would have to talk about how it works with um, parking, you know, how much of the lot we are going to hold out for parking, how we're going to make changes um, if we're doing this in places where we have more walkability or more transit um, availability. But as we go through these, I think your question is really fair. What we want to do is pick up a few examples and talk about how the new district would work to, to kind of, you know, poke holes in it to see if it's actually going to get there, to see if we're, you know, just changing the words in a way that's not going to get us anything, or to figure out what we think the enticement might be um, to move to the development the city would want to see or the development community would want to move forward. Does that seem fair? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just want to mention that um, in a recent um, rezoning case, it came, I learned that the city has some um, prohibitions against um, having um, a corridor and that they want to have their commercial separated. Um, so that is something that we probably should discuss along with these, the corridor recommendation. They're saying, we don't want to see this kind of development just all along, right? But have more compact areas yep. and then neighborhood and then yep. compact areas. Yep. Yep. So um, we will also talk about um, sort of what like the size of some of these should be. Okay. Other questions? Is, is there um, the need, I guess? can't think of a better word, for some of these commercial areas that we might come back and say, you know what, this needs to just be commercial. Yeah, that's usually a conversation that we end up having. Um, it's helpful when we're doing that with a map in front of us because we come back and we're like, for whatever reasons, the traffic is such, or it's already got, you know, X, Y, Z, heavier commercial uses on it that are never going to be good neighbors. So yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a possibility. So there still could be a C some kind we could decide that there's just a straight up see something yeah that's not that's we we try to start with a mixed conversation but we we can come back and say leave it alone well maybe it's the same question where does costco fit into yeah that's right costco the costco district we'll do that as its own zone district 
Um, so it would, I mean, it would fit into the MU3 corridor, but you wouldn't expect a lot of mixed use around a Costco. They like the parking lot. They like their low spread structure. So I think to Phil's question, that might be where we come back and say, you know, we're going to keep, um, you know, maybe the strip commercial, or we might keep something that's more um, of a, you know, consumer commercial or auto oriented commercial or something. So we can have that conversation. Okay, next slide. So this is kind of the everything else we um, are looking at. Um, we had our brief conversation about the IBP and um, we have agreed to do some research and come back. So we'll do that. Um, the IL um, limited industrial will get carried forward. We think the medium industrial can get um, combined with the IL, but we'll take a look when we update the use table. That's another place where we do a comparison to see what can be combined or carried forward. And then we'll carry forward the IG general industrial. We have some special use districts um, that we think can be combined, particularly the general public and institutional and the hospital. Um, so here's where um, MU6 is hiding. But what we're seeing in doing codes in other communities is that um, with particularly in communities that have um, stressed out housing markets, there are institutions like um, hospitals and churches and universities that have land, um, school districts have land. And um, as housing gets to a point where they can't house the people who work on their campus or with them or for them, we are starting to see hospitals put in their own housing or starting to see school districts put in their own housing. Um, it may be that the um, housing affordability in Lawrence is not that extreme, um, but when you um, can't get you know, teachers, you starting to have a pretty serious problem. So what we're doing to change that in the zone district to make it easy to do, to make it not as much a negotiated process is say um, institutions or civic uses have an opportunity to do mixed use too. So if you're sitting on property um, and you want to put housing on it, that's something we can talk about. The other thing we're seeing in there is some institutions, hospitals in particular, um, are building out some of their sites with commercial uses, with tax generating uses. Um, they're, they're putting things on that, you know, um, guests or long-term families who are in the hospital want, you know, maybe a restaurant or um, a hotel or something like that. And most communities think that's a great use for the site. So that's another place we look at mixing that. Um, so we'll bring that MU6 district forward and talk about whether or not it would work. Um, let me see. So we've got um, the UKU district is carried forward. Um, open space gets carried forward and um, urban reserve um, gets removed. It's not um, doing as much for us. Wait, wait, You're going to carry. Why, why would you remove urban reserve? Um, so I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. Gabby, do you remember what we were doing with urban reserve? So some of it is probably open space. Um, some of it can be served by another district. So, and I am sorry, I don't remember from when I did that. What goes on in urban reserve? Is it the holding district for annexation? Yeah, so the other thing that we do is um, we want to have a conversation about, we usually recommend that annexation come in with the zoning that you want to see instead of having it sit out in urban reserve. And that helps better plan infrastructure. Um, it helps better with demographic projections. And um, it doesn't leave, 
the neighbors with an uh, unrealistic expectation that that's now their open park space for all eternity. And so we will have a discussion about it. This is another place where we tend not to push super hard. Um, so we'll say, hey, what you really should do is think about what the development's gonna look like and bring it in with that zoning. If we've done it this way for so long that people are gonna be sad and cry over getting rid of urban reserve, we'll leave it there. But it tends to um, set a more realistic expectation to say, you know, this is gonna be, you know, a mixed use three district out here. There's gonna be residential, there's gonna be commercial, and there's gonna be traffic and people. So we'll have that discussion when we get there. It's a little late for doing infrastructure master planning at that point in time, though. It's a, it's a little late for it. Um, we find, though, that it does change the tone of the conversation. And we know that there are other infrastructure planning issues that we're going to have to jump into. Um, sure, but I mean, if you had a, your infrastructure needs to be planned at the community master plan. Right. Stage, right. So, I mean, yeah, if, if you're worried about it's going to be an MU3 district to determine whether you need to increase the sanitary sewer pipe size, then you've completely missed the boat. So tell us what, um, when we have properties sitting in urban reserve, um, help me understand, has that planning already taken place when it got annexed in, or is it a mis- Don't we have a community master plan? I mean, that's what the- that's what, yeah. yeah, they're on different schedules. The annexation process is essentially a private matter. But plan 2040 is, is looking at has plans to say what this might be, regardless if it's I mean, annex, regardless if it's urban reserve. But yeah, we have, I mean, that's what we I mean, use to plan out. Utility infrastructure should be looking at plan 2040 to determine what the okay. utility master okay. plans need to be. They shouldn't be looking at me to tell them it's going to be MU3 or MU2, because if they have, then we're not doing any planning at all then. So, okay. So, but I still that still I can't decide from this conversation if urban reserve is useful or if it's just if because it's still not telling us anything. So maybe it's not helping with infrastructure planning in the slightest. Is it helping with expectations? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's worthwhile or not. I mean, I was just curious that you remove it. The issue is, um, you know, financially. Yeah. Um, is the city going to annex this ground or not? Right. You know, uh, and, you know, to go to the next level and do all the work it takes to do your plans and, and, and a rezoning request and everything else in the world um, is, a, is a monstrous step when, in fact, you're not even in the city yet. And so it's simply an attempt in my opinion, to overcome the hurdle that when you come into the city, you got to have some kind of zone, mm -hmm. you know, and before you used to come in with just some kind of base, everybody comes in with RS7. Right. Okay. Well, that doesn't right. make any sense. Right. You know, so, because then, then, then <clears throat> your task with trying to <laughs> rezone from RS7 to, <laughs> you know, CC600, you know, right. that's a pretty big step. Right. You know, and so that, that on the other hand, gives the wrong impression, but you got to come into the city with something. With something, because the, because, and I, sorry, I haven't done annexation in Kansas for a good 20 years, but there's a limit, a time limit to like when the property has to be served, right? 
So yeah, but planning... it, it's 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 out there quite a way. So it's just our ordinance says when you come into the city, you got to have some kind of zoning. Now, if we could we could accomplish that some other mechanism, but then you you wouldn't need anything. I mean, could you come into the city with no zone? I don't know. I don't know if that doesn't have to depend on the type of annexation it is. It the does. Frame is. The, the annexation will trigger the requirement for the service plan. So a consent annexation does not trigger the same timing requirement as a unilateral annexation under Kansas law currently. Yeah. Land and, development code today will require any property that's annexed into the city within 60 days to be rezoned to a category of choosing, or the city commission may rezone it to the UR category and hold it. Yeah. So so it's a huge roadblock. You, you can't you can't annex anything unless it's UR because it just doesn't make any sense. It's a huge commitment on everybody's part that they end up just getting stuck. Okay. So if you take away UR, it's like an opportunity for simplification. Kind of a little hurdle that I think we can figure out some way to work. Yeah, I, I'm just going to keep it flagged as a discussion issue um, because it. It it seems like we have on both sides of it we have some problems that we could maybe move into. So okay. But it was a fix at one point in time and it may not be the fix going forward. Wait, right. Okay. And we can change the law. Yeah. I'm just saying if it's because it's because of Kansas law and it's not working. We ought to look at that instead of like jumping around. I mean, although yeah. not in the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's keep let's keep this one. Okay. No, right? Um, okay, so um, we're going to take a look at plan development. Um, we're we're going to carry it forward. But it, if you remember back a few slides, and Kyle, you don't have to go back. We we do have a chunk of plan development in there. Um, plan development is really helpful in a certain situation or planned unit development. Um, but when we start seeing a lot of it, that is symptom that the code's broken because everyone's trying to work around what's in the code. We've already determined that we're fixing this code, but we, we wanna go in and take a look at what's going on with planned unit development, simplify it some um, and decide how to carry it forward. Then um, I said early on, we're going to take a look at what's going on in the smart code and um, see what we can integrate into um, the rest of our code. I had a question about the plan. Sorry, we're going to... oh, cool. I had a question about the plan development. So yeah. in some parts of the code assessment, it, it it kind of is saying plan development is not great. Like you were saying, it's it indicates broken code. It's a lot of workarounds. It's a larger percentage than it should be. And it almost constitutes mini zoning code inside of a zoning code. So sounds problematic generally when you say it like that. But here it is, this carry forward. So given what you've said about the other zoning districts going forward, being more flexible, more open, a larger array of uses, sounds like that might fix the problem. I mean, were you really on the fence here, carry forward? Or What we're really hoping is that the other districts fix the problem, but there is always a parcel somewhere mm. that has so many issues that you're going to be looking for 15 variances from the code to develop it. And in that case, um, planned unit development is just probably a saner way to go. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry. My insurance agent really wants to talk to me. <laughs> um, okay. But um, the other thing that we want to look at, and I'm, I know I'm venturing out onto thin ice here, is um, the whole idea of community benefits. Um, and I know that I have a mixed crowd here, and I, and I might be using the term community benefit completely differently than you guys know it and love it or hate it. 
So we're going to have a meeting about that. But um, in, in many communities, um, when you allow planned development, you, you are allowing someone to work essentially um, differently than the code works. And you ask for some benefit to the community as um, a trade-off for allowing that planned development. And one of the things that we're seeing is communities asking for housing, affordable housing in particular, as that community benefit. So we don't want to move away from places where we can incentivize housing. So we want to have a deeper discussion about that. Was that capital A or little? Both. <laughs> right. So, right. So we need to get little A affordable, more housing, capital A affordable, defined as affordable housing. We're all going to be so expert at this at the end of it. Just, okay. just to be clear, do you see, you know, you don't see a small code, the small code surviving after this. It's going we'll to have one code, not this parallel code thing, correct? Correct. Correct. Smart code. Sure. Whatever we find <laughs> useful in the smart code comes in in the way that it's useful. And then we have a little going away ceremony. Really? Yeah. They'll be okay. Oh, yeah. It's going to be at the late Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth, just, yeah. say goodbye to it and send it down the road. Elizabeth, just to kind of close the door, as far as I'm thinking about PUD plan and especially PRD, you know, the, the reason we use that and, and quite frequently, and the reason it's 9% of our use is it's, it's, it's not we're looking for uh, to, for something special. It's trying to, you know, it's, it's trying to get around something that's broken. Yeah. So, and and clearly through, and I think the answer for me in fixing what is broken is going to be in the dimensional code, dimensional section of the deal, yeah. because that's that's where the problems all lie, and that's why we use it because that's what we're getting around. Yes. So yeah, no, that that's ninety nine percent of the time why we see that, and so as we go through the dimensional standards, we can talk about what gets in the way and what could get moved out of the way. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, next slide. This is all good. Thank you, guys. Okay, so these are some of the slides that we saw at the last meeting. And um, as much as it would be fun to read them to you again, the reason I left them in here was to see if um, they trigger any questions that you had as you were reading through the draft. So um, I, I'll give you the overview again. We're going to um, organize and update the use regulations. So your use regulations aren't organized in super bad shape right now. Um, we're gonna bring the two use tables together. You're gonna see something pretty similar to what you're seeing here. Um, might be laid out just a little bit differently, but you know we'll work from household living to group living and generally go alphabetically. Um, there are use regulations sort of scattered throughout the code, like someone just kind of took them like this. We're gonna try to bring them all together. Um, we're also going to try to pull use regulations out of the definitions where they exist. So we kind of, one of our basic rules is to group like with like. So we're just going to try to find all things uses and bring them together here. Um, one of the other things that we want to do is make sure the uses are modernized, that we're reflecting the uses we're seeing in the community, the uses we might see in the community, and that we've looked at um, how they're reviewed and permitted to move as many things as we can write good standards for um, to a simple um, administrative approval and be um, careful about what goes through um, planning commission and up to city commission. 
One of the questions that we want to have um, a conversation about with you guys that's not in here and may come up more um, in the administrative process is what are we getting with conditional rezonings? Um, because in concept, it's not a ton different than a plan development. We are still creating one-off things as we go forward. And so it's legal, it's totally fine, um, but it's creating problems for future Lawrence. And so we wanna talk about sort of what, what are the concerns, what goes on in a meeting when we do conditional rezoning um, and what are we trying to address and figure out if we can move some of those things back elsewhere into the regulations. Um, it could be in the use table, it could be in the dimensions, could be in the approval process. Um, so we don't know exactly, we haven't dug in yet. I don't know if anyone wants to start that conversation now or if we want to come back to it later. Well, right now, what's in the code mm -hmm. wasn't there until about five, six years ago. Yeah. And really, the way it's used now, the way it's defined, is to fix broken zoning. Mm -hmm. So it's happening in particularly in one district. Um, just about every property has to come in as a conditional zoning. So it's one of those things that could possibly go away if we... Are the conditions usually about uses the neighbors don't yes. want to see? It's just not... So you go through the use table and you say, not this, not this, not this? Right. Yes. And it used to be it could knock out everything except like one. One. But so it's now, it's district that, that, now it has to go through some reviews for... Is there a need? Is there any other way to get here? If you can't get there any other way, like I said, this is fixing a broken piece of code okay. without having a, a single use. A single use district, right. And so I'm, I'm going to ask the group, is it, um, is it, it I'm sorry, this is going to be a super tacky question. Is it really fixing a broken code or is it neighbors who realize they can do this? No, well, it's a, a, I don't think it's just the broken code. I think it may be broken zoning. Okay, so if most recently, if you have um, industrial zoning and somebody wants to build a restaurant and you can't have it restaurant zoning because it has to be the commercial, there's too much commercial around there, then you make it into light industrial so that you can have this quality restaurant. And then um, and people, and then everybody knows, well, there are these things in light industrial that we don't go want on a residential lot that was built as a dwelling. Is yeah, that? Yeah, okay. Okay. was taking residential, say RS7, you wanted to put in a facility that put seeds from a bin into a package and then sell them oh, okay. or put honey in a jar and sell it. That requires light industrial under the code. So you had to change it to light industrial and knock out all those uses you didn't want in a neighborhood. Okay. So those are the things that. So that's probably the zoning, but the other yeah. one was. So what caused this change from five years ago was back when I was on the planning commission, you would have that. We want a neighborhood commercial, but we don't want um, people who sell loans, and we don't want people who do this. And so they go through the use table and say, "Yeah, we want commercial zoning, so we can have a coffee shop, but we don't want you know people who can sell loans. We don't want banks. We don't." And, and so, yeah, it was more that. So then we changed it to try to address that to make right. it. 
make it less of that. I think, I think it's done some good. Yeah. I think so. I agree, though. I think it's also kind of good canary in a coal mine. I tell you, there's something not diagnostically right in some of those base districts because they're only being applied in certain districts and certain intervals. That tends to give a harbinger of something not right in that base district that we'll take a look at. But it's also going to, it's also indicative that if we go a form based use and we're trying to be open enough for future uses that we don't know and don't anticipate now, it's going to be kind of a tough way to get. I think that tells us something about that conversation. Um, so that's, that is all really helpful. So sometimes what we do um, in that case is come up with some transitional zone districts or some transitional because we're worried about what's next to us and what's around us and what it's like. So I don't have a specific answer today, but that was really very helpful. Thank you all for that. So we'll we'll come back around to that one. Okay, so did anyone have questions within the um, comments that we made in the use standards? Clean it up, um, make it look forward, um, make it easy to use. Well, that's pretty regular stuff. We'll, we will, I'm sure we will bump into um, specific uses that we want to spend more time talking about. Um, usually, I know that we are um, teed up to do an accessory dwelling unit conversation because um, the communities wanted to see that expanded to other districts, other residential districts. So we'll talk about that. Um, likely talk about a few other things in there. So um, we'll, but we'll carry forward with this. So this first draft that you're going to see in a few months is going to be the zone districts and uses. Anything else in here for right now? So I'm going to stay on this category that um, just because we wrap uh, up on the code assessment tonight doesn't mean that next weekend when you're super bored and it's five degrees outside and the Chiefs game is over with, if you want to go and make comments on it, please feel free because what we'll do is take the comments and carry them forward. So if you haven't had that chance to digest it, feel free, keep going. Okay, let's do the next slide. Thanks, Kyle. Okay, improve and tailor development standards. So development standards, you'll remember, are those things that apply across multiple properties. So parking and lighting and landscaping and um, transportation connectivity. So this is where we want to go with something that's more character-based and tailored. We want to move away from um, development standards that are very generally drafted and we're trying to um, make it fit specific situations. So what do we mean by character-based? Um, so it's not based on whether the people that live in the neighborhood are characters, um, but there might be one or two neighborhoods in Lawrence that works that way. So in general, when we're looking at zoning and character, we're we're grouping by development pattern and rough age range, right? So we have down we have the core of downtown or even the original plot of Lawrence built at a certain period of time. We have those really close in traditional neighborhoods built at a certain period of time. Um, we have what would technically be first ring suburbs. So we're starting to come off the traditional and we're moving into the 30s and 40s at this point. Um, we have post-war housing um, and maybe that's moving into 60s and 70s suburban development. And then we're really kind of getting out um, to the more, um, you know, exurban areas of the city. And we have that last kind of development. 
And so when we do character-based standards, what we're trying to say is if you are infilling a lot in an older commercial area, it probably should have a design that works with the older commercial area. You probably shouldn't take your 2023 Applebee's and try to cram it in there. You should maybe have a, you know something that works with it. Could still be an Applebee's, but it might not be with drive-through pickup. It might work differently. So we we want to first figure out, and we think we're going to spend um, March and April figuring out how we're going to roughly define character within Lawrence. And we think we're um, we're putting together sort of um, some meetings to send out to neighborhoods and to put online um, to think about the community in terms of what kind of structures do we have here? What kind of um, vehicle transportation infrastructure do we have? What kind of pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure do we have and uh, trails? Um, how do we um, what do we expect of our landscaping? What do we expect of our parking? And we're going to try to um, send that out into the community, both in sort of a meeting in a box and in an online walking survey, um, and let people tell us how they see the community and bring that back together to, to start defining our character areas. And then so within our character areas, we think about, you know, do we do standard parking here or do we do some sort of adjusted parking here, right? Or do we do um, you know, really specific, are we thinking dark skies lighting out in some parts of the city and not as much downtown, or do we want dark skies everywhere? Um, so once we know where our character areas are going to be and roughly what they're um, defined by, then we'll go in and look at the standards and start asking how do we make things fit um, within this area. And then for new development, we think, you know, it's not going to be the same character as what's going on in other places. So that has a more wide open palette for development. So I think I probably use like uh, at least 800 jargon words in there. Um, but what I'm trying to say is we want to get a feel for the community and we want the development standards to match the feel for the community to the extent that they can. I mean, we're not going to do parking on a lot by lot basis, but we can do it um, in a way that reflects what's going on in the area. So it sounds like we're going to have a map with different. You're going to look. Type of we are going to spend some time on that map. We will all be experts on the zoning map by the time we walk out of here. It it helps um, to to think about what's going on, and then to the extent that we can do some of that hard work in the code, it changes the conversation at some of the development, redevelopment, and zoning meetings because. The places where the community might be worried about something not fitting, we've addressed some of it. We've gotten you half the way there. We're not going to get into architectural designs. We're not going to tell people where their corbels go or anything like that. But um, we will look at how form fits together. And, and that's where we'll be able to build on a lot of the work that was done in this smart code. I wonder if one way to look at that is like the BZA and all our variances yeah, we, we will look through the variables, yeah. Yeah, because I know we run into that a lot where, you know, we set some parking standard, but in this area of town, we're always getting a variance on. Right. You know, it works very well over here, but it doesn't work here. Looking at through the way our variances are that might help define where some of those mm -hmm. character lines are where this doesn't work, but this works. Usually we spend some time digging through variances, kind of like, digging through old meeting notes. So you never know what's going to be hiding in there. So we'll do that. Anything else along this line? Okay. 
Let's do the next slide. What are we doing on time? Um, environmentally sensitive areas and incorporate sustainability. Um, so since we last met, um, we had the opportunity to talk to, I'm sorry, Kathy Reynolds. Is that right? Right now, Richard, sorry about that. Um, and learn about what's going on in terms of sustainability planning. And um, so as the, um, I believe as the city and county move forward with climate action plan, there will be some um, more detailed information in there about sustainability. And we're gonna try to organize our drafting so we can um, pick up on where they're going with that. Um, in terms of zone districts and USA, one of, um, one of the ways to make a community or keep a community sustainable is to focus on compact development. When the footprint of the development is um, smaller, we make it easier for people to walk. We tend to use less water um, and we tend not to sprawl out into more environmentally sensitive areas that we're trying to, no, seeing a no down there, um, conserve. So, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is, this is, um, an area that we'll do across all three of the um, drafting segments. So sustainability, um, a good sustainable code has sustainability in the districts and uses, has sustainability written into the development standards and um, has sustainability as a review criteria uh, for development. So this is, um, sustainability is gonna be one of our overarching themes. Protecting environmentally sensitive areas is a place where we're gonna take what's currently in the code, um, bring it forward and update it. It could, um, it could be a little more um, expansive in what it covers. It could be a little more explanatory actually in what it covers. All right, questions about this? No, yeah. I had a question about the steep slopes one. Um, I saw that in the code assessment report and it, it sounds like there's a desire to limit development at all on steep slopes and I was wondering what the rationale was behind that given that other cities can do it and that we're trying to do infill development and our our interior tends to be more hilly than our exterior. So we typically find um, a slope percentage that the community agrees is so steep that the engineering involved isn't worth the effort that's usually 30 percent or over. So we will have a conversation about whether or not there's a cutoff place. 30% is pretty steep when you're talking about putting development in. So below that, to talk about, you know, finding the flattest, safest place on the lot to build or um, allowing people to move density around. So if you're doing a subdivision, you can cluster it and um, make the most of the site that way. But I don't think we're at no. I think we're at um, being thoughtful about how that type of development impacts the community. If the complexity and difficulty of engineering and construction is the cost borne by the property owner, why should anybody else have a say in if they can do it or not, if it doesn't affect anything else other than just that it's on a slope? Like if you really want a house on stilts, that's on a 50% slope or whatever. I mean, it seems like you should be able to have that as long as you're not causing a landslide, right? I mean, Go ahead. Sorry, I'm a member of Chipotle. I, I'm an architect that worked in Seattle. The issue is that you are endangering the public by working on a steep slope because you you could undermine that entire site and have that site cave out, go into your other neighbors and basically have a mudslide or something. So I'm not opposed to working on a steep slope, but there are public welfare and safety issues that come with it. So it should be addressed in some way. It shouldn't be limited 
but we should find a way regulated, right? That it should be regulated. Yeah. Like in Seattle, they had a wet season limitation. You couldn't work on steep slopes between October and March. You know, so you find ways once again to work within the constraints that allows people to be able to do what they want to do on their own private lot, but doesn't impact the neighbors. Yep. I agree. You know, you have to have certain amount of certain amount of shoring that goes up if you have a site that has geological issues with it. So, thank you. And I'm I'm thinking that most of the streets that I try to ride up to get to the university are 14 percent, 17 percent. So that's much less, even though it's hilly mm -hmm. in the middle. It's much less than the 30 percent that you're talking about. So that may give you some idea of. I think the Levin Street is somewhere between 14 and 17 percent. So maybe a moot point after all. <laughs> what? So it might be a moot point after all if we really yeah. don't have anything quite that steep. Yeah. Yeah. Too much sliding. Yeah. But it's good for sliding. <laughs> 11th Street. <laughs> oh, mostly for cars. <laughs> <laughs> the entertainment is when it's icy. You just <laughs> the entertainment's watching Marcy write down. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, thank you. Okay, so we'll, we will um, hit this one um, in our um, second drafting module for the most part, a little bit in the first one. Let's go ahead, Kyle. Okay, so a um, few slides just about the code foundations. Um, big goal is to draft for predictability. Um, the current regulations have um, some amount of subjectivity. So um, someone, um, an applicant needs to come through and needs to get um, a develop a director approval or the code says we're gonna you know we're gonna ask you to do the best thing in this circumstance we want to move a little bit more to we want you to do one of these three things um, we want to make it easier to say I hit the thing I'm supposed to hit that is um, you know it's a it's a problem solving problem um, when the code says we're looking at the director to make this decision um, that, you know, that's just something that needs to be solved that's going to take time, that adds time to the review process. It's common in older codes to see that. Um, we all, we went through a code drafting period of time when, when the code, just the whole code was pretty much whatever the director says it's going to be. And um, which was, you know, we thought that was a great way to get through, but it turns out it's a long way to get through. Um, so we will move to objective standards where we can. Um, we will eliminate duplicated information and reconcile inconsistencies. We've heard um, from staff and the public that just the, the language of the code is a problem. So as we clean up, we'll get through that. So it's sort of like yeah. not saying small scale. We're going to try to find all of those buzzy words and come up with a different way to say it. Um, my least favorite is harmony, which ends up in development standards and design codes and um, doesn't doesn't work so well. But um, if you have a hit list of words that are in the code that are that hang you up somewhere, we'd love to hear about it. Doesn't Anybody on the appropriate is there? Appropriate is a problem. I feel like uh, compatibility is something that comes up all the time. Compatibility is like pedal for who, right? So and all of these words are a problem where they have no context. Right? It's easier to figure out compatibility when you say the compatibility means it's within a size range of 20% of whatever's going on next to it. Well, then you can get to compatible pretty quickly. So, um, yeah. So we Will they be retired? Those terms retired at the same ceremony as the smart codes? I hope so. Yeah. I know. I would like a second ceremony. Okay. Well, have to... Ceremonies as we can have. More cake for everybody. I had a quick question about yeah. the, the idea of predictability. Um, 
I've been trying to follow the sort of urbanist news as well as I can. And it seems like in cities that are loosening up their zoning code or changing entirely, some of those cities are also pre-approving certain designs for missing middle housing mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe people aren't used to seeing. So it's nice to get out ahead of it and say, like, this is something that we generally agree is going to look okay in most neighborhoods. So if you're a developer and you want to put this on a lot, or if you're a property owner and you want that as need to you, it should be fine. As long as it fits, it's cool. And, and then that can take some of the unpredictability out as well. Is that something that would be written into a code or a design guideline or... Yeah, so the um, the adoption of pre-approved plan sets happens after the code. Um, we're we are seeing that we're seeing it um, most often for ADUs because that's going to help um, a residential property owner get forward in the process and stop some of the arguing about whether or not it's acceptable. Um, but that would have to be something that the city would do after the code gets in place. We do want to spend time talking about missing middle housing. That's one of the things we want to talk about. Um, something that we um, we see in different communities is that sometimes the missing middle doesn't get built because over time, the development community has found it challenging to get approved or has moved away from it. And we have lost some institutional memory of how to do that product. Um, there are um, probably people in the community who remember how to do it. And we do try to have um, some conversations across the code about, hey, what's what's in getting in the way of missing middle housing? Why aren't we seeing it built? Is it the zoning? Is it what we think the market wants? And so we will dive deep into that. Okay, next slide. User-friendly code, um, you guys are probably going to just get sick of hearing about this. Hi. Um, so we're going to more images um, and we're going to more tables. The code is likely going to get longer because graphics are bigger. So I, I don't want anyone to have heart failure about that. We're thinking it's going to be an electronic document. The city is going to codify it in Unicode. Um, but... I just want to go out on the limb and say page number is not indicative of good code or bad code. We are all going to be judges of whether it's good or bad at the end of it, regardless of how many pages we have. Somebody's going to tell me more than 15 pages is too much code. <laughs> I'm going to hear it. It's going to happen. They might tell Gabby instead of me. But um, we're going to base the code on what we think the city needs. And um, so if you think we're doing more than we need to do, please say so. We're happy to take pages out and claim it later. But um, just letting you know, when we start adding illustrations and graphics, we try to make them big enough so people can see it and it takes up space on the page. Okay, next. We can replace a bunch of words with a few pictures. We'll take We will try to replace a bunch of words it with might pictures. Be a lot simpler. Yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, no, that's, that's what we want to do. Um, and then we find that people come in and argue with us about the pictures. So it is. So someone's going to come in and say, I'm not putting a blue roof on my house. It, that conversation is going to happen, and Jeff is going to look at them and very gently say, no, you don't have to put a blue roof on your house. Um, but we, we do put some words with the graphics to say, this is an illustration, and you can do whatever roof you want to, but we're talking about location or shape or something here. But yes, we do, do try to do um, images instead of lots of description. Okay, next slide. So you can paint um, so the development processes, we are going to update the development processes, and we know that there is a lot going on um, in the administration and um, procedure section of the code. 
that we want to fix. You guys might remember we talked about neighborhood meetings at our last meeting, whether or not to add them, and we have different thoughts about whether or not they're going to be useful. What we think going into this is we're going to start drafting districts and uses, but we have some more questions we want to tee up about procedures because we want more time to talk about them. So we're going to keep going with the neighborhood meeting discussion. Um, and we're probably going to start some other procedural conversations early so we know we're going to draft later. Um, but we're going to work with staff to flag those conversations to figure out um, where things could move more smoothly or where we're missing procedures so um, processes get stopped. We, we understand that the code calls for something to happen, but there may not be a procedure actually assigned to it. Um, and there may be procedures that we look at and we're not sure what we use them with. So we want to start that matching process early. And we want to ask questions about improving procedures as we go. Um, staff and the public have identified this as a place where we can um, do some good. And maybe we can um, celebrate with the cake at the end of that. If we manage to do something good, we'll see. That might be popsicles. We'll see where we're at. So three star ones? I'm three. I'm three. Yeah, you should be correct? Yes. Okay, thank you. One. Um, so. So in addition to what we're doing with drafting, we're going to be reaching out to the public and doing some surveying. And you may see that some of that surveying is stuff that's going to happen later in the code because we're trying to pull information in earlier so we can have conversations about it. Questions about procedures? So at the last meeting, I had brought up the idea of moving the procedures part up in the process to see if we could get more simplified or an expedited procedure put in place and start working with that while we're working on some of the other code revisions. Am I kind of hearing that that's not something that you recommend as part of this process or, or is that something that we should talk about? Yeah, so we can we can talk about that. Um, our issue there would be, we'd be appending new procedures onto old code. Um, and that's gonna be sort of a Franken code by the end of it. Also, um, and, and I do appreciate that drafting at first might help see some progress, um, that we can see that we can resolve some of this. Sometimes procedural problems are actually substance problems because we have open-ended issues in the code um, that get stalled because it takes a staff discussion to get through it, or we're going back and forth with the applicant three or four times to figure out how something is going to get resolved. And so... The, our reason for drafting procedures last is to resolve as many of the problems that lead up to procedural delay as possible and then clean up the procedures. Um, but, you know, we, we have drafted procedures first in other communities. Um, it's, you know, it tends to work a little better if we do it last. And so I think I would, you know, I would ask if there is, you know, any movement in the group on that? I would ask if there's, you know, movement from the staff on that. But um, I don't think doing it first is going to get any current applications through any faster. I could see slowing it down if it has to go through certain commissions when you're arguing about which rules to apply at the time. But it, it would be. Um, it would, it would slow down the whole project, um, most likely, if we wanted to do that and then append it to the current regulations. So um, I'm, I'm not sure whether it would be enough of a fix to be worth it. Um, but you guys are all closer to it than we are. So we are 
you know, a little more hands off. We have drafting reasons why we wouldn't do it, but um, I guess I would ask if it would really make an improvement that that would be worth the effort. Could there would there be scenarios where it could expedite the process? I mean, for the folks that are inside of it. Well, I would be a little concerned about administrative approval if it's not the code that we want to aim towards. Right. So all of a sudden, and I think that's the mix between um, the existing code. If I think we're wanting a code that's that is more clear about exactly what you have to do, and then it's easier to approve it administratively because we've all agreed that it's not harmony; it's twenty percent. Part of the other part of that is, you know, some of I mean, some of the slowness in our processes is because we require so much process because. And we have lots of rezonings because our zoning categories maybe are so narrow that we have to rezone. Whereas if you create these different zoning districts and then we across the board rezone them, you know, rezone things to these new districts, then you have, you know, well, all of a sudden you don't have to rezone this thing from IL to, you know, CN so you can build something. You can, you know, or you can, you don't need to rezone this to RMO so you can put some housing on top of it. It's already allowed by that right. Mm -hmm. So I'm also excited to get to that point. And obviously on the affordable housing side of it, you know, if you allow some density, if you allow, you know, whatever duplexes or ADUs or whatever by right within districts, then you are able to do that. So um, I mean, I think some of those changes are actually going to be um, more useful in solving some of those problems, as you said, than the procedure. But I did, I guess, a related question is you did mention late in the report about an affordable housing zone or maybe some, some processes related towards trying to get housing done quicker. Quickly, yeah. Um, and I think our biggest issue is housing, yeah. not so much quickly trying to rezone things to commercial or industrial. Um, so I, I, I wonder, I wrote that down as, depending on what you're thinking there, is that something we could consider early in the process um, to address some of the housing issues? Again, because in many ways, those are much less controversial than, than especially in new zone, in new, in uh, greenfield development. Um, I mean, I think most of the concerns about going too quick are going to be going too quick in infill you know, that one lot, as opposed to having a process that's quicker to get dense, affordable housing. And I'm using the little A there, not the big, big A. I mean, affordable housing in a greenfield in West Lawrence. Is there a, a way to look at that? So I didn't know exactly what you meant by affordable housing zone. And maybe that could be something we look no, at. Maybe there's something in there that if if, if it's not... If it's not as wide as all of the procedures, but it's more narrowly focused on greenfield residential development. Yeah, and I mean that was really the the premise of my thought there. Is is there a way that we can expedite housing? Because if we're already in this incredible shortage and we're looking at it, it takes two years to develop the dirt and however long to build, I mean we're already at a, a critical point. Yeah. So but again, we're talking there, greenfield, not the yeah. empty lot on yeah. 11th Street. But, but greenfield's not any easier. Well, that's what I'm saying. We could. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If we could, if, if we had, if we could expedite that process, that's what you're talking about. If we had a zoning category 
now that we could zone greenfield annexation with that could help speed it up something like that yeah that's, that's okay yeah i'm not yeah yeah but I, I, we've got to we're got to really work our way through it i mean there's right to to get greenfield housing going there's a lot of procedural stuff that we're and you know maybe we just need to focus on that for a little bit because because you're really you know uh from from my read of your you know your assessment i mean we kept talking about infill and redevelopment and i mean that that is such a, a narrow small i mean that's where 20 plan 2040 missed the boat I mean, that's that's the problem is we've already exhausted most of the affordable lots. And so we're doing all this work uh, for a, a, a really dwindling amount of issues. And our whole our whole hurdle is to get, you know, get the Greenfield stuff going and we can't get that. Going. And so why not? Uh, because Plan 2040 has set all these hurdles for us to annex and get ground going and jump the SLT. I mean, that's a mental block for us right now as a community. We can't figure out how to do that. We didn't we didn't lay any groundwork to develop on the other side of the SLT. Goes back to uh, utility planning, infrastructure planning. We didn't do any of that. You know, so so now we have a plan that doesn't have any plans to be on the other side of the SLT. So now we're continuing to not do any SLT infrastructure planning. I mean, it just snowballs once you get into that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I kind of like to add to that. The, the way I see it is that the issue with redevelopment and um, infill is the code. Yeah. The code doesn't allow for density. So then we have to turn to Greenfield. So it's it's not it's not one or the other. It should be both. And that the right now the only way we can get density within the core of, of, of Lawrence is to do what we're doing and rethink the zoning and allowing not only single-family homes in one district, allowing duplexes, um, maybe fiveplexes, or figuring out how to have affordable multi-tenant mm -hmm. units on one lot instead of thinking of this being a single-family town because... It, it's it's just not going to fly. I mean, we're not going to be able to build enough single-family homes on, you know, from here to Tongue and Oxy. <laughs> and I think that's what the difference is. I think that, I think we have to walk through all the rest of it. I mean, what we're talking about, we're talking about, which is taking a house on 11th Street and possibly making it a duplex or taking, uh, you know, a gas station and turning it into a, you know, a three-story, you know, coffee shop with apartments above it. <laughs> That I think has to, that procedure is going to have to follow after we get the zoning districts down and the other. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see that, and, and you know, I think those are going to be part and parcel for each other. But Phil, to your question is, I mean, you know, putting aside Plan Twenty Forty and infrastructure, is there something in the code that would help us do greenfield development? You know. My only concern about that is I, I think when we talk about a greenfield development now with lots of housing, we'd also like to see some of this mixed use, oh, all that stuff too. And, and some of that's not allowed in the current code and it's going to be allowed when we have these new. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm excited about some of these new, yeah. new districts. I mean, I think I think the yeah. we, we can make, you know, those are going to turn into some great 
neighborhood stuff. Okay. But yeah, so to wait until we get to there to even get started is. But to bring us back to the procedures piece of it, could we get ourselves a couple of months into the zone districts and uses? Because that sounds like a big piece of what's getting in the way of both redevelopment and greenfield development. If we get closer and see that we can put a housing specific fix in place, we could do that midway through. Okay. Does that seem so? Let's we because if we clean up the districts, that's like that's the baseline for what we've got to get to move some of the rest of it forward. What are you going to say? Have that mixed use housing available yeah. as you know a range, a flexible range yeah. annexation. I think that is going to help a lot because we're really stuck with trying to update your area plans mm -hmm. and all types of other things are getting in the way with the current code. But if we could get resolution on some type that can go out, that provides some degree of flexibility that we're looking towards at the end here, because we'll have some, we're already focusing on that idea of these mixed uses. Okay. We're gonna have our first mixed use <laughs> housing. And, and I was going to say the commercial uses, yeah. I think, are going to have the least um, concern and the most excitement maybe for Hillcrest or, um, you know, some of those other smaller districts that adding some housing mm -hmm. could be, you know, above the bowling alley, right. you know, if you have enough insulation. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I think that it would There's be a couple interesting. Of <laughs> it would be interesting to see what if if that could be added as a new district to our current code, Something right? Like that. So, well, let's let's move ourselves yeah. forward. Okay. But yes. Holding this conversation about where some of our real biggest problems are or, or opportunities. Yeah, I think it's kind of where's the really yeah. opportunity? Where's the opportunity? And do we midway through decide to jump on that opportunity if we think we've cleaned up enough? Uh -huh. So um, not neither one nor the other. Let's move them both forward. Okay. Okay. Next slide. Special topics. Okay. So we think these three topics are going to um, kind of permeate our discussion, um, and they they all come together in different ways. Um, so zoning for affordable housing. That's a capital A, but there should be a small A there also. Um, and drafting for equity, they're drafting um, in terms of what's in the code, um, thinking about how we stay equitable within the community, what's in the procedures, um, to think about how we include new voices in our processes, and what are, what are we doing, um, and particularly um, staff and the consultant team to get further out into the community. Um, and so um, we will be, as we pick up steam across 2023, um, doing a lot more of us out in the community, talking to people, um, and maybe a few less things, um, having people come to us here. Um, Gabby and I were um, brainstorming, um, what were we brainstorming? Something at Free State that involved bingo and design standards. I don't know. We'll get back to you guys when we have that together. Um, 
and ensuring environmental sustainability. So these will be our big three um, that we look at as we're drafting districts, as we're drafting standards, as we're drafting procedures. Um, and we'll do a check back with the community to see, are we meeting where you want to be on these three topics and what else can we do to get there? Um, and so you'll see these kind of um, almost at the end of the assessment. You can read about them a little bit more. We have an affordable housing plan coming out and the climate action plan coming out over the next few months. Um, so we'll be thinking about how those become part of the process. Um, and then we're working towards um, including um, working with the city's equity and inclusion um, and communications and creativity departments to help guide what we're doing with the project. So let's go ahead a little bit more. Okay, so website feedback. The code assessment document is on the project website and it's posted in a website format um, that allows people to comment on it and you can read other people's comments. Um, so it's open for community conversation. Um, and so if you want to go share any of your comments on the draft, or if you want to send people to the draft on the website to comment on it, <laughs> we have some comments on there and we're looking for more. We're trying to figure out where people want to see more of something or less of something. Um, and so that's going to be up. We'll probably leave that up for at least a couple more weeks. Um, and so we'll, we'll let people do that. Um, we will um, gather those comments and share them back with the public. We are um, in the process of putting together a new um, place on the website. That's what we're hearing in the community. We're starting to receive submissions from the community, and we want to be able to share those with everybody. So what are we going to do with comments? Um, so we'll, we'll compile the comments, and um, we will review them during the drafting process. We'll share the pro we'll share. The comments with you will share the comments with the planning commission um, and then um, you know to the extent that there is a continuing theme in the comments um, and it appears to be community supported change um, we will work to address those issues um, where we um, where we are going to look for your feedback and look for planning commission feedback is where we're seeing um, comments that come in just for one or two people Sometimes someone says something that's incredibly important, but one person says it. And sometimes 15 people say something that we have no control over. Um, and so some of what, what do we do with public comment is just talking about this is what we're hearing. This is what the public is saying. Here's where the code is going. Here's where the plans are and trying to figure out what our path forward is. Um, one of the things that's so important about this group is the range of perspectives that you bring to the table. Um, and so we'll try to make sure that we're having this um, comment conversation and um, you know, bringing that feedback in. Um, ultimately, um, we think that um, the, um, the comments, the, the formal comments that get submitted um, probably should go to planning commission um, because that's kind of their job, but that's something that we're gonna wanna talk about as we go forward. And I think, Brad, you have some thoughts about that too that you might wanna share. Do you wanna do that now or you wanna do it at the end of the? I mean, yeah, you know, I think we, um... We can talk about that now. We have yet, I mean, ultimately, you know, the uh, city commission will pass something. Correct. Um, question is, how do we get from here to, to that vote? Um, and and um, again, is what is ultimately recommended to the city commission? Is that the consultant's recommendation? Is that this committee's recommendation? Is the planning commission's recommendation? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think 
those are all pretty intertwined. And at some point we want to get very close, but we won't necessarily have where that is. So I think that's what we want to continue to work on as we walk through this process is um, as we hear that feedback. And obviously if, um, you know, people have all sorts of opinions and something has to be presented <laughs> to, to the city commission, but how do we get to what that is, is I think, you know, what you're leading to, to towards, typically it's the planning commission. That is the entity that hears it last and they're the one that recommends something to us. Not that we always agree with the planning commission, but that's the last body. Um, but how do we get to there, I think is still kind of something we'll work and do as we get there. This body is really important because it's the one that's it's it has a broad, a broad range mm -hmm. of input, which is why you guys are so important to influence that as it moves along. Speaking as the role of planning commission in yeah. here, it would be helpful if you had the public comments and it ran through this committee so that it had this the steering committee's comments also when it's presented in the modules, because then it would be easier for the city commission to ultimately track where the changes and where the changes, you know. I hear, yeah, I hear, what you're, I hear what you're saying. And we kind of talked about this, just started this conversation. I think that ultimately one of the things that we're trying to be respectful of is your time. And so adding public comments on to what we're already asking you to bring to the table with your experience, um, we didn't we didn't want to double up your time commitment because now you have a list of comments. Time commitment of the steering yeah. committee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Nobody seems to care about the time commitment of the planning. No, no we don't care about that. Uh, uh, no, you signed up for it. So, <laughs> so I, I think maybe maybe at our next meeting we want to, you know, go away and think about this and come back and have a um, you know, a more full conversation about it. I, I don't want to, you know, us to get comments and say, no, these are never going to the steering committee. If steering committee wants to see them, but you do have a job separate from sorting public comments. And so we just wanted to make sure that everyone was in the same place with at least that piece of it. So, but were you, I think part of your mm -hmm. um, proposal might have been to say, do we track the comments of the steering committee? Right. As it'd be helpful to know what public comments, what filtered through here, you know, what this steering committee, which represents a different component of the city, has to say about what the general public is saying. But I think we differ, we're different from either the planning commission or the city commission True. because we're probably not going to take a vote and say, um, no, but it, it could happen. But so, so, and, and so then how do we know we can come to consensus? Because there's still going to be comments that are going to come from us individually, as opposed to this is a steering committee comment. Because okay. I think every, I mean, everybody has that different perspective and that input. And I don't think this body should have to say, we're going to all agree on the same thing. Right. I think we ought to just um, add to the discussion and then, you know, if we're really energized, put in our comments. So, so, we, our, so we need to both put our input in the steering committee and then go online and put our input in as public as well. Is that what you're telling Well, no, you don't have to. No, 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 I, I, I was trying to understand what Marcy yeah. was saying. Is that what you just well, said? Well, I'm saying, I, I don't know how our comments here are getting, I mean, 
you're reacting to them, but they're not going to be part of the comment process, right? Well, so we're taking notes of these meetings, right? Just like we did the last one, and we will continue to publish the notes. Okay. So they effectively become part of the comment process, um, at, at least in terms of it says steering committee. So we don't say Marcy said this or oh, right. Brad said that. And when when we get public comments that are you know general comments, we're not going to put names on those either. We're kind of just throwing everything in the bunch. Um, so. Maybe I don't think we need to resolve this tonight, but maybe we inform this conversation with what we're hearing from the public. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. want to not know about the public, but I don't think you have to react to uh, thumbs up or thumbs down the public. Right. So but I think this is maybe a conversation we have when we have a draft in front of us and have public comments in front of us and see what the lift is going to be to get through that. I keep looking at you guys. I feel like I need to sit on the other side of the table stare <laughs> at this side oh. now. Yep. Okay, let's get this finished up um, so you guys can go home um, and get warm. It is nice and warm in here. Gabby and I had a meeting last week in a room that was 45 degrees. And so this is lovely and civilized. Oh, sorry, I just have one more question about the yeah. website. So it looks like there's supposed to be functionality around, around like liking and replies that you can then filter by stuff. Yep. But it doesn't seem to be possible to actually reply or like comments yet. So I don't know if that's just my computer's broken or if the functionality is not enabled. But you may want to have an IT guy. We're checking it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. It doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. Thank you. Because it should allow you to comment on comments. Um, yeah. Open, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We've kind of been discussing the whole time, um, but is there anything we haven't touched on that you guys have on your list that we want to bring up tonight? Liz, this is the last slide of your presentation. If it is, we can take it down and see the people who are on Zoom. Yeah, let's. Um, I don't think the last few slides are a calendar, so let's take this down. We can bring it back. Yeah. Hi, this is Kay Johnson. I um, I don't know if you're looking for specific comments, but I was looking at the section on environment and natural resources, which is on page seven of or eight between seven and eight of the sixty-three pages. I don't see wildlife uh, protected or um, there are several places that I could add in my mind, wildlife. Um, you've got identify, preserve and protect wetlands, um, but also wetlands are to protect the wildlife. So I, it seems like to me in several wildlife habitat and um, transportation limits to uh, impacts to wildlife also should be um, included in some fashion in these sections. I I see that um, wildlife is actually wildlife habitats as listed in the chapter two paragraph, but I also don't see that in, and maybe that's because of the specific plan 2040 pages, but I don't know. Right, so the um, the stuff on on in chapter two and those pages year um, seven and eight, um, that is from Plan Twenty Forty. Those are the goals, um, the goals and actions from the plan. That's Did we, kind of what I was wondering. Those? Did we okay. miss them? Uh, no, I just I I thought that's probably what it was, but it seems like then they needed to be picked up in the other sections. But I don't know what section that would be to include wildlife. You know, we've, we've got a, we, we've got an expansion getting ready to start with the SLT. 
we have wildlife on one side of it as well as residential and a kind of a wildlife buffer on the other side and now we're talking about building walls for noises noise and things like that but how do we get the wildlife to be able to migrate back and forth that adds to the importance of the wildlife wildlife does make a difference in our lives yeah so um you might want to try around page um 31 the very end of this um part two right before the beginning of part three um there's a list in there of um enhancing the environmentally sensitive land standards and the last thing on there is identify important wildlife habits and prioritize them for protection and conservation okay and then just add comments in that area yeah you can add comments in that area absolutely or you can um, tell us right now what else you wanted to add to that because I don't, give it a look. I don't necessarily see that this is some of that area is not considered sensitive lands but it does there are trails and uh natural preserve areas in that in that um particular area where i'm talking about but there are other areas too um especially where the um rural versus the urban um touch <laughs> so we we still have wildlife that we want to encourage into our uh uh, areas and we also don't want them to be hit by traffic or whatever but um because that also causes problems impacts to people too but so that what i was just trying to figure out is where you know the the purpose of um maintaining and improving wildlife habitat is for the wildlife yes. so okay thank you mm -hmm. Do we do we want to talk about wildlife corridors? I don't have a problem with that. Because it is important to know where um, wildlife is moving or or what development we're um, proposing that restricts important movement. Yeah, and I don't know what kind of studies have been done about wildlife habitat movements. Mm -hmm. um, particularly around the SLT. Okay. okay. We we know we'll be getting to that um, in the second round of drafting. So um, we'll think about where wildlife habitat might be, where the corridors might be, how we protect wildlife for the sake of wildlife, not necessarily um, for anything the humans are up to, and um, how do we maintain and improve those areas. And if if you're wondering what I'm really thinking about, I I like uh, nature bridges, whether they're over overpass or underpass, uh, or at least um, gaps between walls, um, because you don't want to block off and totally wall off wildlife on one side, wildlife on the other. Yeah, that's it. That's that's helpful. Um, one of the things that we're going to um, think about as we do our drafting is um, what we put in the land development code and what needs to be handled by um, engineering design standards. And this is one of those things that crosses both of those. So um, we'll bring that conversation forward. Great. Thanks. Uh huh.
Anybody else? I would, I would just add real quick, and we talked briefly about it. And again, I know you're going to incorporate some of the stuff. I mean, from the small code. I mean, there was I was on the planning commission when we adopted that. Yeah. We thought great things would happen, but yeah. never never got used. So those clearly problems with it. But some of those um, some of those ideas of um, you know incentivizing being close to transit or incentivizing some of those things. Um, you know, I, I thought were really good ideas that never really took off. But incorporating some of those, at least, I think it could be um, good to see some of those yeah. the new code, as well as the form-based stuff. Yep. I, you know, I don't envision how those two work together, um, but I, I look forward to it. And then, again, I, you know, I, as I was reading through this already, the those couple of people who had commented, you know, some of them at the very beginning were talking about we need to collapse these residential zoning districts because we want, you know, ADUs and duplexes and you know some of that by right. And then later and you talk about that, having that in there. So I still think there's confusion about what the zoning districts mean versus mm -hmm. you know what the uses are within those zoning districts, right. what the form is. Right. And again, I think other people will be concerned about the form of, you know, they might not care about the duplex as long as it looks like a certain form. Right, right. These sorts of, so not just, you know, so again, I think that goes back to your character right. sort of idea about how those are lined up. So but I think we're already seeing lots of comments about that. So I think that'll be interesting. It's something that we've seen with ADUs is that, um, they get more traction sometimes in a community when they're designed differently in different locations. When you've thought about the, you know, if you're putting this in your backyard, it can't be any taller than this because the neighbors actually don't want it blocking what's going on. So we'll try to figure out what, what some of the issues are there. Okay, so it looks like um, we're getting ready for our next meeting. Oh, <laughs> so people are showing up, which is good. Excellent, this is excellent. Anything else? Nick, were you going to say something? Yeah, it's it's a very general kind of question. Um, so since we've been talking about zones, collapsing, expanding, carrying forward, striking from the code, um, given the, the sort of progress towards more mixed-use zoning, it's not really progress, it's more of a return. That's how we've always built cities. Right. And also what's going on around the country where uh, some cities and some entire states are doing away with exclusive single-family detached residential zoning. And given the fact that every other developed country on earth doesn't have that, is there any um, potential for maybe re-examining the need for a exclusive single family detached residential zone? Um, in as much as maybe even somebody has a, an acre lot, maybe the one in ADU, yeah. or if somebody has an acre lot, is a duplex so wrong? I mean, I've seen apartments in the countryside, it's weird, but it doesn't really hurt anything, right? Um, if somebody wants to have a farm store on their property. I think that actually sort of allowed, it's like a farm stand, but if you want to run an office out of your ranch on the edge of town, it, it, it seems like if we're, as long as we're careful with form-based standards and appropriate uses that there maybe wouldn't be a huge loss of that exclusivity. So, um, I don't know if that's something that's in the works or not, or that's uh, possible, but bring it up. So these days when we draft a code, we usually bring it back, um, so in the past, there would be like a whole range of single family districts, and then you do a whole range of multifamily districts. 
Um, right now, what we're doing is really bringing that um, multifamily in the form of single family attached way back into the single family district. So maybe leaving one or two just single family detached districts and everybody else can have a duplex or can have a triplex or we're treating those um, very similar to a single family detached. So yes, we will start that dis discussion by showing um, a wider range of housing available in almost all the districts. Okay. Um, on that kind of same thought path, um, it, it, it sounds like we are, like you're basically building sort of graduated phases of intensity of development in each of these, these zones. Do you think it would make sense to keep them hierarchical in that, say, intense zone number one, you can do everything that you could do in the lower intensity zone number two, but it's kind of a one-way street. So kind of like what they do in Japan, for example, where like in the most intense zone, you can do literally anything if you have the money. But in the, the least intense zone, you, you can really only do very low intensity uses. Isn't that typically what we do with Euclidean? Are you sort, thinking, are you of. taking it into more so like currently, zoning? Yeah, so so currently in, say, a commercial zone, you can't also build a single-family home, right? Whereas, I mean, if you're crazy enough to want to build a home next to Walmart and Target, I mean, do what you got to do, right? But it's but it's not necessarily prohibited. Well, by going to more mixed-use, that is effectively what we're doing. Okay. Um, it, but in some of those mixed-use districts, we actually say single-family detached is not appropriate here. Oh, so um, disallowed entirely. It's just disallowed because it's really, it is a huge expectation problem. Mm. Um, so if someone buys a single family detached and then they're irritated that the commercial lights are on next to them. Um, you know, it could be, you know, completely buyer beware, but it's a lot more effective just to say, don't mm. build single family detached here. And that's still the difference. If we're going no for <laughs> and we're looking to get to density, Someone's I don't want there. someone taking it up with single family detached. I, do you think that market forces may affect that one way or another? So if the cost of the land is $150,000 for a 3,000 square foot lot, you would have to build a pretty big house to get your money's worth out of something like that. Whereas a 1,000 to 2,000 square foot house would be a really dumb idea to build on something like that, right? I mean, I never discount the dumb ideas. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and even if it does happen, if I'm playing, what are they going to do better, right? Like, the zoning says what it is. Everybody's conforming to standards. It's you know. all true, but that doesn't stop people from going to the city commission and taking up a lot of time talking about what they don't like. So I mean, you guys are used to that already, right? Yeah. Nothing different, really. <laughs> it's nothing different, but yeah. if we can stop a few things like that from happening, I, I appreciate that You know, the market should, but these days the housing market is so completely sideways that a, a few bumpers are okay, mm. I think. Okay. Well, I know we have other people coming in. I had just one other yep. uh, one thing that jumped out to me. Elizabeth, when I was looking at this, I, I noticed that the some of your community survey results were in the back of the, of the report. The one thing that jumped out to me was that one of the things that Lawrence citizens like was single family homes with yards. Um, obviously, our conversation has been focused a lot on density and infill. Yep. And I absolutely agree with the comment earlier that we're not going to build single family homes from here to Lecompton, but I'm concerned that the focus of where we're headed with this is not compatible necessarily with what the community is saying that they want. And from a market perspective, um, you know, are we considering what the what the market wants, what the what the community is telling us that they want, and are we planning for that? So, just a comment that I wanted to. I don't think we're stopping single family development. 
um, I don't think the code is going to outright ban it. I think that the conversation will be around, you know, what other forms of missing middle could and should be sold um, in the community. It, our, the discussions we've had so far have been a, not a lot of it's getting built, not a lot of it's getting sold. It's a gap in the market. And so I think it's hard to say whether that's all people really only want a single family detached when they haven't been presented with a lot of other choices on the market right now. Um, and that's not uncommon. That's not just a Lawrence issue. It, other communities are facing that too. Um, so, you know, I, I think the um, conversation around housing is what can be built? Where is it appropriate to be built? How does that meet what the community wants? And who is not in the community now that would be if there were affordable housing or other housing choices here? And also who won't be in the community if things keep getting more expensive? Sure. And, and I agree. I think our market can support housing of a lot of different types, some of which we're not actively exploring right now. But I think there is also a market demand for things that I think it's different to say we're not banning it, but we're also not encouraging it. We're not making, creating an atmosphere where that development is, is happening. And, and that's, that's where my concern is. We're not, we're, we're creating an atmosphere where I think the development community is hearing a message that that's not what we want. So I want to make sure that we're careful with where where the expectations are and where the intentions are. Okay. 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 Let's wrap up, Alan, so you can get to your next one. And Thank get you. The, um, oh, so quick, quick, um, as you guys um, walk out the door, one more minute. Um, so we will not have the draft ready until late March, um, but we think that there is perhaps an interim meeting, and we can talk about this by email with everybody. Um, to share what we think the some of the community outreach around character is going to look like. So we're trying to put together um, a website survey or um, and or um, attach that to a walking tour and do um, a meeting in a box. So neighborhood groups could grab it and do it, or um, you know you could get six of your friends together and have a beer and do community character, um, but. We would like to share that with you guys before it goes public. So we think maybe a February, early March meeting will be when that's ready to go. So we'll um, work with Becky and Jeff and get an email out and figure out what a good time to meet is. Um, and we'll do that probably virtually and then we'll get that ready to go. And then we'll see you back here probably early April. Excellent. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. everything tonight, guys. Really appreciate it. No. All right, we're going to switch out. We've got a presentation, so our presentation.